Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you are joining us for another hope-filled message. And our prayer is that you are encouraged by this powerful Sunday sermon. I'm excited for this series. We're talking about prayer. And uh, I've just spent some time in Brisbane with my family, and I have two nieces and a nephew. There's a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old. The three-year-old is named Isabella. She is a force of nature. Uh, She's kind of like the Pikachu of our family. If you've ever seen Pokemon, she's very small, she's very cute, but man, does she have some big thoughts. And uh, she's learning to pray at the moment. It's very cute. We were having dinner the other night, and we are sitting down together, and uh, my brother said, who wants to say grace? And all three kids are like, me! Tick, tick, tick. But Christmas presents for all of you. And so Ariana, who's the oldest, prayed first, and she thanked God for the food and for family and for time together. And Ethan prayed, and he too prayed for the food and for the family and for time together. And it comes to Isabella's turn. She's very excited. I'm like, all right, Isabella, you ready to say grace? She's like, yep. All right, all right go for it. She made sure we were all looking at her, and she goes, Grace. <laughs> I mean, she said Grace. She was technically correct. Uh, but she's, she's been um, stepping out a little bit and praying more, and she asked a couple of weeks ago if she could pray, and this was her prayer. She closed her eyes, got very serious, and she went, Dear God, I hope you've had a nice day. Love, Jesus. not bad, right? You know, Bella's not the only one who's trying to figure out what prayer looks like. Uh, Pastor Marie started us last week in the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to pick that up today. That's when the disciples who had spent some time with Jesus and had been with him and seen him had spent some time with him, and they said, look, there's something different about you. And they said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And what we're looking at last week and this week and next week is how Jesus taught the disciples and us how we can pray. Not a script, not a hollow ritual, but how we can engage with the Heavenly Father in prayer. So before we talk about prayer, how about we do it, hey? Why don't you, wherever you are, close your eyes, bow your heads. Jesus, we invite you into this moment. We thank you that you were so faithful to meet with us. God, wherever we are today in this room, in our chapel, at south, at north, east, west, Tauranga, our locals online, wherever people may find themselves this morning, God, we invite you into this moment. We ask you to make your presence felt. God, I pray that as we unpack this scripture for these next few minutes, God, it would not just be words, but God, we would have revelation of how good you are and what it means to pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Well, let's head straight in. We're going to turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. And, man, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Marie, not only for the message that she brought last week, but for living a lifestyle of prayer. My thought this week as I was preparing, I was like, we just don't know what Pastor Marie's prayers have set us up for in the life of our church. You know, that's not exclusive to a senior pastor or a disciple 2,000 years ago. What could God do with our prayers? Because as Pastor Marie talked about last week, prayer comes from the foundation of relationship. Uh, In fact, the first two words that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6 was, 
our Father. Our Father. Uh, In his book, uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, Tyler Statton says everything we need to know about how we can approach God and how we can approach one another and how we can see ourselves is all contained in those two words, our Father. It tells us that he is not distant, he is not angry or judgmental, he is not just a philosophy or an idea, he is not an angry tyrant, but he allows himself to be called our Father. That he would engage in relationship with us, that he would love us, that he would be interested in us and want to spend time with us. But not just us, but with one another. And that leads into the next part of the prayer because he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, holy is your name, holy are you. Set apart, distinct, different. There's no one like our Father. And the next thing he teaches them to pray is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean, kingdom come? That's what we're going to look at this morning. What did Jesus mean by kingdom come? So if you're taking notes, that's your title. Nice and, nice and easy, kingdom come. So let's, talk, let's ask three questions this morning. First of all, what is God's kingdom? Secondly, why should we pray your kingdom come? And then thirdly, how do we pray your kingdom come? So let's start with what is God's kingdom. Let's do the theology in the Bible first up and then towards the end, let's get a little more practical. What is God's kingdom? Really simply put, God's kingdom is anywhere that God rules. Anywhere that God rules. I was debating whether you would use the word rules or reigns this morning, and then I thought the word reign might be a trigger warning for Aucklanders, so don't panic where God rules, the place where God rules. When Jesus spoke this message at the time and he talked about God's kingdom, his audience at the time assumed he was talking about thinking back to the times of David where Israel had their own king, they had a good king who ruled over them, they had autonomy, they weren't under the Roman oppression. That's where their minds went. But Jesus was actually pointing back a whole lot further to the very beginning of the human story. The idea of God's kingdom is not something we just find in Matthew or even in the Old Testament, but the idea of God's kingdom is right throughout Scripture. So I thought just for fun today, why don't we go Genesis through Revelation in regards to what does God's kingdom mean? See, it starts in the very beginning where God created the heavens and the earth. God created the universe. He created humankind. He is from the very beginning, from the very outset, he is king. He's the rightful ruler. In fact, Genesis says that you and I were made in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God has 10 fingers, 10 toes, etc. That has a deeper significance for us today. You see, at the time, the kings of the earth, the, the, the kings of the various kingdoms, believed that they were made in the image of the gods. And so therefore, they were rightfully put on earth to be the ruler. And the significance of this, one of the significances of this passage, is God saying, from the very beginning, you and I were meant to reflect God's rule on earth. 
we were meant to reflect God's rule. We were meant to point back to him as our king. We weren't made just to exist, to scrape along the ground, but we were meant to reflect him and point back to his rule and his kingdom. The good news is, for anyone who's getting concerned at this moment, is that God's rule is good. When God created the heavens and the earth, when God created everything, he made it and then said it was good. So God's rule is good. God's rule is one of peace. God's rule is one of healing. God's rule is one of joy. God's rule is good. The problem is, Adam and Eve tried to take the rulership themselves. Rather than trust God's rule, trust God's kingship, they took things into their own hands. And from there we have uh, the ongoing story of the Bible. You may not realize though, but the first mention of prayer comes in response to the corruption, the depravity, the fallout of humankind after we have chosen to try to take the rulership on ourselves. Genesis 4, a passage we don't talk often about. We come to Genesis 4 and Adam and Eve have rebelled against God by taking what was not rightfully theirs. And then the next generation, we see one of their sons kill the other son. And the spiral downwards goes like more depraved and more awful from there. And to the point at the end of Genesis 4, we get this guy called Lamech. And Lamech's like, you know what? It's not just that I'm okay with murder. It's not that I'm just okay with doing bad things. But if someone even injures me, I'm going to pay them back in death. And he boasts about the fact, this disproportionate response to being offended or to being attacked, etc. But off the back of that, it says this in Genesis 4. At that time, people began to call the name of the Lord. At that time, people began to call the name of the Lord. Why? Because if you want taking anything away from today, it's this. Prayer invites God's good rule. Prayer invites God's good rule. How good? We are not stuck with, oh, well, we've messed it up and humankind's gone, but we can invite God's good rule into our world. And in the face of the corruption and the degradation and everything fall apart, people begin to call out to God and call for his kingship. Let's fast forward through the rest of the Bible. We've got a bit to cover. Exodus 19. We are probably all familiar with the Ten Commandments, have at least heard of them. You may not realize that we are given context for why those Ten Commandments are given. It's a preamble, if you like, before the commandments are given. And this is what God says to the people he calls out to reflect him. He says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will live under my kingship and you will be set apart and you will be different and you will reflect my rule, my good rule, rather than the, the world around you. Isaiah 9, fast forwarding. At this stage, the people of God have not taken God's rule, they've not accepted it, they've gone their own way, they've worshipped other gods, they've put themselves on their thrones. But there is a promise of one who is to come who will restore God's kingdom in Isaiah 9, and it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government 
will be on his shoulders. That's not talking about a political party. That's not talking about a campaign that's saying the right rule and reign will rest on the one who is prophesied about. Fast forward again into Mark 1. You can all leave today and say, man, I read the entire Bible this morning. It'll be very impressive. Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. And this is what Jesus started his ministry with. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. The good rule of God has come close to you. Turn around, come back to him. The rule of God is here. And we see Jesus that not only does he uh, not only does he talk about the kingdom of God, not only does he talk about God's right rule, but he actually exhibits surrendering to God's good rule. Before his ministry begins, Jesus is out in the wilderness and he hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, which is a horror movie to me. But he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit and the enemy comes to tempt him. And do you notice what the enemy tempts him with? It says this in Matthew 4, verse 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. What Satan's saying is like, Jesus, if you just bow down to me, I will make you king. I will give you authority over every nation on the earth. Sounds like a pretty good deal. But Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's Jesus saying? God is the rightful king. I'm not taking the rule from him. God alone is a true king. And then at the end of his ministry, the night where Jesus is about to be arrested, where he's about to be trialed and crucified, Jesus prays this. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. God, you're the true king. My father, you're the true king. If this is part of your good rule, then I surrender to that. We can fast forward through Acts 28. It talks about the apostle Paul, where he is spreading again the news of the kingdom. We get to Revelation where it promises where Jesus will return and he will restore God's rule once and for all. And what is written, what is tattooed on the thigh of Jesus, uh, but it says this in Revelation 19. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then the final step in the entire biblical story is this, speaking of Jesus. It says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And the Bible concludes with these words, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come restore your kingdom. Come back as our true king. So from beginning to the end of not only the Bible, but the human story, is this idea that God is king and that he has a good rule, but our world is not in alignment with his good rule. Which brings us to our second question. Why pray your kingdom come? And the simple answer is, is because there is a disconnection between God's good rule and the world today. There's a disconnection between God's good rule and the world today. But maybe even more troubling than that, there is a disconnection between God's good rule 
and our hearts. The good news is, like has been praised the last 2,000 years, we can invite God's kingdom, we can invite God's good rule into our hearts and into our world. Think all the way back to Psalm 139, one of the most famous psalms we had. And David prays this. David, who was very aware of his failure. David, who had more wives than anyone should have, which if you're playing at home, the answer is anything more than one is more than just in case. That might be a revelation for someone today. But David's a man who didn't always do things right. It's amazing that David's not called a man after God's own heart because he got everything perfect. He really didn't. He misused his power. He committed adultery. He wasn't the best father. He didn't discipline his children when he should have, when it was just to. But David was a man who kept turning back to God, who kept inviting God back into his heart and his world. And David wrote this in Psalm 139, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Prayer is our surrender to God's good rule. Start of this year, in a moment of reflection, I had one of those uncomfortable moments when I realized there were things in my heart that didn't align with God's good rule. I realized, to be honest, there was quite a bit of envy. The lifestyles, the relationships, the looks, etc., that other people have. And I realized in that moment, I'm like, this is not God's plan for my life. This is not good in my heart. And the fantastic thing is I didn't then have to go away and try and sort all my thought processes and um, all my feelings out by myself. But I could invite God's good rule into my heart in that moment. And what that started to practically look like is I'm not finishing my day with Instagram, with something that's going to remind me of everything that everyone else has got, but I journal. And I've started to practice being grateful to God like, God, there are things that I need you to do in my heart and my world, but I'm thankful for what you've done so far. What I've found in that process is as I have invited God's rule into my heart on a daily basis, quite often my prayer will be not out of ritual, not out of routine, not out of feeling of obligation, but quite often what I write most nights in my journal is something along the lines of, God, please lead me. God, please don't let me mess this up. God, please change me. Because I've realized there is incredible power in inviting God's rule into my heart. But it's not just our hearts, it's also the world around us. Uh, It's not hard to understand and know at this time in history that we're living in a pretty tumultuous time. Uh, I um, often walk at the moment between places. Yesterday I was walking between the gym and the library in my home and just being present in my suburb being present in what's going on around me, I I can see a lot of need. And I don't know about you, but I can get pretty overwhelmed sometimes by that. But the great news is that we can invite God and his good rule into the world. 
Because not only does prayer, not only is prayer is our surrender to God's good rule, but prayer is also our invitation for God to reign in us and through us. Prayer is our ability to say to God, God, would your rule be seen in my life? Would my life reflect who you are and what you're about? Would my life reflect your peace and your joy, your forgiveness, your redemption, your healing? Uh, But God, also, would you do it in my world? God, would you be seen in my world? The beautiful thing about prayer is that we don't have to have all the answers. Inviting God's good rule into our world is not about having all the answers or knowing how everything should go, but we can just say, God, would you be in this situation? We have a family friend at the moment who, for the last couple of months, has been battling um, pretty serious cancer. He is one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet in the world. He's had a really rough time with his health over his entire life. And to be honest, it's just unfair. He's such a generous, loving, funny kind of guy, but they found a tumour in his right arm, and so they've amputated that, and they're working through cancer treatment at the moment. And the cancer treatment is going well, but in the midst of all this, you know, I, I kind of went, God, like, how is this fair? This is a guy who was a very talented guitarist, a very talented artist, and he's lost his arm with which he would do those things. The great thing about prayer is I don't have to know how this is all going to work out. I'm not sitting down with God saying, right, God, what's our new strategy for how his life is going to go? But rather I trust that the good king, the one who rules a kingdom of peace and love, of joy, of hope, of purpose, I just want to invite him into that situation. God, would you make something beautiful out of this? God, would you do something amazing in this situation? How beautiful it is that we don't have to have all the answers, but we can just invite God's good rule into our world. You know, it's not just that we can, it's also that we need to. You know, we've got a world around us who desperately need to know the good rule of God rather than the rule of the world. Again, quoting Tyler Statton, he says this, to pray is to love. To pray is to love. To pray is to understand that what we want from others, we can't give them ourselves. Richard Foster says this, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. The beautiful thing about prayer is we can come to our Father, the one who loves us, who loves to spend time with us, the one who is excited to be with us, the one who is always available. And we can come to him and say, God, there are things that I want for this person I love. There are things I want for the world around me, and I can't do that in myself, but God, you can. Say, God, I want to invite you in. I want to invite you into this situation. You know, this week we've got Help and Hope Week. Uh, an amazing opportunity to be out in our community and practically showing people God's love. I think there's still opportunities to get involved. You can go to our website or our social media to get more information around that. You know, I pray we'll be a church. I pray we'll be a community of people who are actively engaged in our communities, showing the love of God. But I can tell you it starts with prayer. I, like I said, I often walking through the streets of my neighborhood, there is a lot of need There is a lot of need. And I often do get a bit overwhelmed, like how I don't even know how to help everybody. But as I've started walking, not out of a routine, but just out of that 
compulsion within me, that, that, that burning empathy within me, I've started to pray over my streets. I'm not in your suburb. I'm not in your city. But what might happen if you started to pray in the streets where you live? How might things change? How might God lead you if we were to start praying over our streets and over our neighbours and inviting God into that space? To pray is to love. So then how do we do it? How do we pray your kingdom come practically in our lives? Because like I said, it can be pretty overwhelming. I don't know if you're a list type of person and you write down a list of all the things you want to pray for, all the people you want to pray for. I start doing that and then two pages in I'm like, I don't have time to pray. How do I do this? And in his book, Reappearing Church, Mark Sayers says this, and this is so stuck with me. Really simply, prayer has form and fire. Prayer has form and fire. What does that mean? He says, true prayer. Prayer that makes a difference has form to it. It has a discipline to it. It's not just when I feel like it, but there is a decision there is a conviction, there is a discipline to coming to God and reaching out to him. But also, he says, it's got to have fire. It can't be an empty ritual. It can't be something that we're just ticking a box. There's got to be a passion to it. There's got to be an expectation, as Pastor Marie talked about, to encounter God as we come to him. There's got to be a stirring within us. Prayer has form and fire. And so for me, this is how I have managed in the last couple of months as God's been stirring me about this, this is how I have come to a place of being able to have form and fire practically in my life. What's it gonna be for you? For me, I start each day and I've chosen this year to take the train. Well, I originally chose to and then it became an option because like I say, pray for my neighbourhood. Uh, but my, my car got broken into. Um, but I've started taking the train this year because I realised that rather than just being frustrated in traffic for 25, 30 minutes in the morning, I can take a train and it takes a bit longer. But on that train every morning, I open my Bible, which is on my phone, and read a couple of chapters. And I am reminded of how good our God is. I'm reminded of His incredible grace and compassion. There's so many times where people turned against him or ignored him, but God was always available and saying, if you would turn back to me, see what I can do. And then I have a 10 minute walk from the train station to my office. And on that 10 minute walk, I had this jar. It's a Kmart jar. It's not, very, it's not a brand name. In there is some scrap paper with some names in it. There's about 60 names. And each morning... I take about five to 10 pieces of paper. And on that 10 minute walk, I plot those pieces of paper and I pray for those people. Those people are my leaders and mentors. They're my family. They're my friends. They're our Life Leadership College students. Because if, look, if I'm gonna lead people and make a difference, it's gonna start with inviting God into their world. I'm pretty limited in what I can give in my own strength. But if I can invite God into their world, and, I'll t and I'll, there's also people going through some pretty hard times, and I'll open that piece of paper up. I've got no idea whose name I've pulled out. Cool, one of our students, Gabby. I can invite God's world and God's good rule into Gabby's life, and I can pray. It takes 10 minutes. It takes 10 minutes. But there is form and fire 
And sometimes it's praying for something specific I know is happening in that person's world. Sometimes it's just, God, I invite you into whatever's happening for them today. Sometimes I am moved by the Holy Spirit in exactly what to pray for. But one way or another, in 10 minutes of my day, I can invite God's good rule into their world. Let me ask you, what does it look like for you? What does it look like for you maybe on your way into work, school, uni, as you're getting the kids ready? What does it look like during your lunch break? What does it look like late at night? As I've mentioned, I journal every night and bring everything back. What could it look like for you? I've got some good news for you. God is not looking to be impressed by your theology or your eloquence. God is not looking to be wowed by what you can bring. My favourite verse from, on prayer in the entire Bible is found in the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations is one of the lowest points in the entire Bible. It's where the Jewish people, the, the line of the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, they've already seen the northern kingdom of Israel go off into exile and yet they have continued to refuse God's rule. They've continued to walk in idolatry, to walk in disobedience to God. And the consequence of that is exile. They have the Babylonians come in and they take their people hostage and take them off into their own land. They destroy buildings, they destroy the walls. The people are starving, they've lost family members, they're weeping, everything seems lost. And in all of it, they realise that they have turned their backs on God and not allowed Him to rule. In the middle of this despair, in the middle of this, of these consequences for what they've done, this is what it says in Lamentations 2.19. Arise. Cry out in the night as the watches of the night begins. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. If you're here today, if you're joining us online, any of our campuses and you're thinking, I don't know what words to pray, can I tell you what the Bible says? Pour out your heart like water. Don't worry about how eloquent it is. Don't worry if you're saying the right thing or not. As you continue to read the Bible, that will give you words and that will give you motivation to pray. But it starts with pour out your heart like water. Would we pour our heart out like water for our world? For our neighbourhoods, for our cities, for our workplaces, our schools? Would we come to God and lift and, and give Him what's in our hearts and see what He does in response? And I'll finish with this. I got the opportunity to catch up with a friend a few weeks ago who lives overseas. And uh, she was here for many years and then she had a whirlwind romance. She met her, uh, the man she married. She actually only met him six times before they got married. But there was just an instant connection. But coming into their wedding day, she knew that though he'd been raised in faith, though he'd been raised knowing Jesus, he'd walked away from it. And she prayed at the time, she's like, God, am I making a huge mistake? And just felt God say, trust me in this. So they got married, she moved to the other side of the world, but two years in, she was saying, their marriage was a mess. Just, they just felt like they were coexisting. And she was faithfully in church every week. She was serving God, but her husband wanted no part at all to do with it. Lovely guy, great guy, just wanted nothing to do with it. And in her desperation, she's like, God, I, I can't fix this myself. 
And so she went into her room and she's like, I didn't even know what to pray. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to make this better. And so she just started where she could. And she started saying who God was. God, I don't know who you are, but I know that you're faithful. I know that you're good. I know that you're just. And as she started in that place, as she started just with who God was, she felt the Holy Spirit come into that room. Day after day, as she started to do this and started to lead her in what to pray, she started to pray more fervently. She started to turn from a place of desperation to a place of complete trust, and it changed her prayer life. A couple of months later, her husband turned to her and said, hey, can I come to church with you this week? A couple of months after that, he was baptised. The two of them now within their church are discipling people. He's assisting their pastor as a volunteer to help their church run more effectively. They're speaking. You know what happened? She just invited God's good rule in. Church, what would happen if we became a people of prayer? What would happen if we became people who invited God's rule into each and every situation? Thank you for listening to this podcast. I trust you're encouraged by this incredibly powerful word. You know, you've always got a place to call home here at Life, and I want to encourage you to join us in one of our campuses in Auckland or Tauranga, or why don't you join us at Church Online? To find out more about life and to stay connected with us, why don't you visit lifenz.org?